Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Overhand Right Radio. It is Cole and Jason back at you again. We're going to touch on some news, but let's also touch on the performance we saw at Gilbert Burns last week. Because, man, he was the betting underdog. I made my predictions. I put it out there to the world, and I, th- I thought, look, I think Tyron Willie's going to bounce back. He's going to have a great performance. He's going to go into this fight. You know, he's going to learn from the Usman loss, and he's going to show up this time. But I've also seen Tyron Woodley, where he is not that active, back against the cage, not really throwing. You know, when we were live there at UC Vancouver, when he voiced Rory McDonald, he didn't, he didn't really press Rory at all. He's kind of stuck against the cage. But then you see him against Robbie Lawler, Jay Heron, Josh Koscheck you know, Darren Till, and he's cracking these people, and he's dropping them, he's finishing them, the explosiveness, the power. And, you know, a lot of people made the argument, like, look, that maybe t- that Tyron Willie's going to show up. You know, it's it's hard to tell what Tyron Willie's going to show up. You know what you're going to get out of Conor McGregor. You know what you're going to get out of Khabib. You know what you're going to get out of Justin Gaethje. But I, I don't know what I'm going to get out of Tyron Woodley. I, I didn't think it was going to be a problem for him. Like, when it, when it comes to actually, like, getting in there, having a dogfight. But the Tyron Woodley that showed up last Saturday, man, I, I'm shocked I saw that. And look, I can't take anything away from Gilbert Burns. He fought a great fight. He came out right away. He was pressuring Tyron off the cage fantastically. And he really just put it on the Tyron Woodley the whole time. So, I mean, I, like, I, I can't take anything away from Gilbert Burns. He got the takedowns when he needed to against a, a strong wrestler like Tyron Woodley, who usually is the person looking for the takedown. So Gilbert Burns fought a perfect fight. And you know what? This from Gilbert Burns was the best thing he could have done for his career because right now he's an number one contender. He's up there for the title. And apparently he told Dana, hell, let's get this thing going. I'm ready to fight in two weeks. What do you think about Tyron Woodley and his performance? I just, I just don't know how you can come into a fight like that, man. A fight where if you win, you get a shot at your title back. You're one of the best welterweight champions of all time. You come in and you put on a good performance and you do that. But it's just like, I can understand taking a loss. I can understand that. You know, sometimes it doesn't go your way. You don't feel the best. But to go in there, back against the cage, and not even look like you're trying to be aggressive and put any offense together, and then after the fight say it's not a big deal, that's just a little confusing to me. Uh, Apparently, you know, we'll we'll, we'll talk about what's next for Tyron Woodley, but let's just focus on what happened in the cage in the UC Apex last weekend against Gilbert Burns. Because quite frankly, I was a little shocked that that Tyron Woodley show up in that big of a fight. Yeah, I, th- I thought he would bounce back uh, 100%. I thought he would bounce back. But, you know, again, like you said, he has had those performances where he, he, he is just a little gun shy. And he looked – he didn't look comfortable, you know. And it, it was strange because you look at the other fights where, you know, he was sort of uncomfortable with the range and his kind of gun shy was against – purely more strikers with range on him. And it was funny because I was thinking, okay, well, you know, that that's probably not going to happen with Gilbert Burns here because he's not really a tall, lengthy striker that controls distance, uh, you know, nearly as good as like Roy or Wonderboy. And so I, I was kind of like, well, you know, maybe Gilbert Burns can definitely, you know, get in there, uh, you know, mix it up. He does have lightning quick hands. Um, so maybe he can catch him kind of coming in, but and Woodley just never looked comfortable the whole fight. And here's the problem is he, he comes out and he says, hey, I'm okay with the loss and stuff. But I'm like, being okay with the loss is, I think, for me, it would be somebody who goes in there and tries to win. And Woodley just never seemed like he was hungry for the victory. He looked like a guy who's, who kind of quit a bit. Right, he looked like a guy who kind of made up his mind in the, you know, after the second round. No, no, uh, he did survive the first round, which I do give him props. But he looked a guy like after that first round, you know, tearing towards the end of the second round. He looked like a guy that was content to just to ride it out and lose. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it, it just like after he got cracked, there was no offense. Well, I, 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 there really wasn't offense the whole fight. I mean, his best offense, I think, was like maybe the last 30 seconds of the fifth round. Um, listen, again, if you, I'll quote, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. 
And yes, you have to be uh, very careful of Gilbert Burns counter striking and stuff like that. But if you go into a fight and you barely throw 20 punches, how are you going to win that fight? Yeah, no you idea. Know, like, all over the 20, you know, we're talking about, I, I don't know the actual stat, but it was probably close to 20 uh, punches that he threw that could have did some damage over the course of five rounds. I mean, that's just not going to get it done. I, I don't care if you're versing anybody. You know, that's just not going to get it done. So Woodley, to me, it, it he's always had this guy. He's So he's always has, he's a guy with talent. He's always had the talent. For him, it's the mental thing. It's really a mental thing. And listen, he, he kind of looked the part. I don't know if he didn't feel comfortable coming back because, listen, COVID-19, there's some restrictions on your training. Uh, maybe you don't have all the partners you have. It's a weird time to make a comeback, right? Like we're going to talk a little more about UFC 250, and there's some some guys who are coming back, uh, same kind of circumstances as Aaron Woodley. But – you know, maybe, I don't, maybe he didn't feel comfortable, but he looked like a guy that was ready to go. And after he got clipped in the first round, he, he looked very content to just say, man, I lost. Right? Like, like you know, and, and I, I, I don't blame his corner. His corner was, I, I believe, telling him to go get it. Like, hey, we got to win this. And, and uh, you know, he lost all five rounds. And I think there was uh, two judges who said there was a 10-8. Uh, for that first round so you know what's next for him I mean he's got to get a win right I mean the simple answer is he's got to get a win he's got to get refocused and he's got to get it back to the guy who goes for it because when he sits back you listen don't don't if I was just to say show you a tyrant if I was just to take a random MMA fan and let's say he knows nothing about Tyron Woodley. And I showed him all the all the fights where he lost and all the fights where he won. That guy, even if he was an MMA fan, he could tell me if Tyron's going to win or lose by the first round. Because in all his wins, he looks like this guy who's coming forward, throwing heavy. Think of the Lawler fight. Even the Wonderboy fights. He came in there and he was way more aggressive against a, a, a karate guy that could carry such more distance than him than he was in the Gilbert Burns fight. You pull up the Rory fight. We were there. We were live. Uh, it's just a guy that never went, never found it. And, and he and he's a guy, when you look at it and you're like, man, even if he's losing a fight, he should just go at people. Because I look at him and I think, man, if he just throws the barrage, he has the power, the speed. It's not like people are going to take him down. Uh, they're gonna have to be damn good wrestlers. Um, why doesn't he get into these phone booth fights, right? Like no he's idea. one of the, he's one of those guys who you look at and you're like, he could win the phone booth fight. He could win that fight in the pocket. And for him just not to do it, I think it's more mental than anything. Yeah, and and what's next for him? I think that he's got to get he's got to get a win. Well, I, I think when it comes to matchups, I think the UFC should really talk about this and take another guy who he has history with, take another guy who's coming off a loss. You can make this on a big pay-per-view. Hell, you can make it a co-main event, whatever it is, or a, a, a big fight night. Match him up with Colby Covington. Well, yeah, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about the Kobe Covington. And uh, listen, I think there's a little history there. Um, modern MMA fans probably, if you weren't really on top of it, might have missed it. It was like a quick beef. They were going to fight. And then everything kind of got pushed along. I believe he was injured or something. And then Kobe went on to win the interim title. Um, so, But if you get these guys – and they talk a little crap to each other. You could build that back up, and that could be a real uh, big main event. And, and they're both kind of at that stage where they both are one to two fights out. You know, I think Willie more two fights out and Kobe one. Uh, but, yeah, I think those are guys that are sitting in limbo, especially when you have Maslow, who looks like he probably won't be fighting for the title. It'll probably be Gilbert Burns fighting for the title next. Uh, which which is interesting because Gilbert Burns and Usman are teammates mm -hmm. uh, and close friends, uh, but that's a great matchup. So yeah, I, I think Woodley and Kobe is the fight to make right now. When you talk about Masvidal, it's it, it, it's he's in an interesting scenario. 
because you look at 2019, he was the hottest fighter out there, man. Uh, the BMF title, the knockout of Askren, uh, the knockout of Till. And then it looks like, you know, him and Usman were going to get matched up. Now you got Gilbert Burns in that equation. Now you got some, some issues when it comes to, you know, Jorge and Usman agreeing on money. You know, Jorge came out today and said that the UFC is not paying me enough and Usman's yeah, looking for more right. money and, and all this stuff. Mm. The one thing that seems, man, and I'll just put that out there, is 170 has missed so many big fights. People talk about 155 like, oh, you miss Conor Gaethje, Habib, Tony Ferguson. I still think there's time for all that. But like the Colby Covington, Tyron Woodley, for when, it, when Tyron had the title and Usman won the interim, that's a missed opportunity yeah. they didn't capitalize on. So it, it, it's, it's interesting why that can't happen. Like why, why is it the UFC? Is it the fighter wins one, one match, wins belt, wins a matchup after defending it, and then all of a sudden he's asking for a bigger payday? Like it's, it's interesting why those fights can't happen. Man, I, I look at what Jorge said, and like, I can't not agree with him because you look at what he has done in 2019, and he's got such a following now. Like, you know how like the Diaz brothers had that following, Connor has that following. Yeah. Like, he's gaining that just because you know the whole BMF fight, you well, know, what, like the, his well, whole persona and stuff. Right? People that, love that, that. That is the thing. Is like the UFC. Um, you know, Maswell obviously did the, you know, he obviously the Ben Askren thing was kind of out of nowhere, right? Nobody saw that really coming. And and then when they did the BMF, uh, I, I think that's, it's a very interesting look now because the UFC pushed it. Man, but the UFC really didn't have to make a belt. They really didn't have to throw the belt on. They really, they promoted the shit out of it. They made a lot of money off of that. And so now it's interesting. They've, they they sort of took Maswell, who after the Ben Astor fight was here, right? He, he jumped up. They put him on this platform. They gave him this big fight. They gave him this belt. They call him the best, you know, mother effer around. They sent him skyrocketing through the atmosphere. And now he's coming back and saying, I want money. And they're kind of like, no. And, and, and to me, that's, it, it's, it's kind of comical because I'm like, well, you made him, the, you, you pushed him. Not that you made him, he would have been a star anyways, I think, after the Astro, even if you didn't give him the belt. But you you furthered his platform. You furthered his leverage against you. Mm. And now he's coming back and saying, I want big fight and big money. And now you're saying no. And and so I, I just find that kind of funny that, listen, it, 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 you built Connor up, right? And Connor was getting up there. And, and when I say building guys, I don't mean they, they made them who they are. But when the, when... The UC, listen, the UC makes money off stars, right? They make a lot of money off stars. And when the stars ask for money back, the UC seems to be very reluctant to do that. Mm. And so I think what you have with Masvidal, he's, he's, he's going, listen, I'm a star. I got a following. I got this BMF belt that you gave me. Or he won it, but they gave him the opportunity to. I'm at this place now where you now have to pay me to fight. You now have to pay me big money to fight. And the UFC, you know, listen, I, I, again, it goes back to the big fights thing. Like you were saying, if they don't make these fights, what happens? Yes, the UFC will always have this train of guys and you always have a new prospect um, that you can build up in some form, some fashion. The UFC is great marketers that way. But you don't want to miss these big fights because these big fights are very profitable for you as well. The UFC, I should say. So I think with Jorge really, really what should be happening is Usman Masvidal, Right. Yeah, I agree. Right. Right. Like when you, when you talk about the number, who's the number one contender, what's the big fight, that fight should be happening. Now Gilbert Burns in the meantime has, you know, really, I, I mean, with his last two fights have, have really put him up just up there. I don't know if he's on Masvidal's level, but the the thing is, the UC is going to push Gilbert Burns. Why? Because he's not asking for that money yet. Yeah, and that's and, the big and he's not asking for the money yet. But if he beats Usman, he will be asking for the money. The problem with the Masvidal thing is, I think he's asking for too much money, and the UC doesn't want to shell out that kind of money for a non-champion. 
Yeah. Right? Like, if, if, if Jorge was the actual champion, I don't think there would be such um, a contract issue. Yeah. Right? I think what the UFC does is really what they want to do is they want to have a title fight where they're paying the champion a lot of money and the contender not that much money. Mm-hmm. Right? Where they're not as profitable is when they're paying um, the contender a lot of money and the champion a lot of money. Yeah. That's when they're not losing money, but they're not making as much unless unless it is a huge fight, right? Unless it's Connor Diaz too, unless it's Connor Aldo, unless it's you know unless it's a big big fight, yeah. and that's one of the reasons why I think Ngannou and Jones are having the problem they're having is the UC for some reason uh, doesn't think it may not sell as well, therefore they don't want to um, give them the money they kind of want. Yeah, and for that fight, the one thing about the whole Jones and Ganu thing is, is like, I never really bought into that. Like, I, I never sat there and went, "Oh man, let's get high." Wait, wait, like, wait, hold on. You, ne- you never, you never bought into it being a good fight, or that it will happen. Oh, I, I, I thought it would be a great fight. I okay, never, okay. I never believed John Jones wanted that fight. Why would he? Why would he? Because here's the thing well, with John I, I, Jones. No, I, I think, I think he, like I said, like, like I, I, I don't think he. I said on the last pause, I don't think he wants, I don't think he truly wants that fight. I think he wants to get the heavyweight, but I think he'll take that fight for the, for, for a, the dollar amount that he wants. The but, problem is, is the negotiations don't work like that. Negotiations don't, I'm not saying John wants 10 extra million, 30 extra million dollars, but negotiations don't work as, Hey, I want 10 million. And the UFC goes, here you go, buddy. Have a great day. It doesn't work like that. Right. It works like, Hey, I want 10 million. Hey, we're giving you one. And you go from there and you somehow meet in the middle. And the problem is, is the UFC doesn't want to enter that. They don't want to find that middle ground. And John doesn't want to fight for that middle ground. Um, Now we don't know the truth. We don't know the text messages or what, you know, whatever, but I, I don't think John wants that fight because he listen, John's John might be arrogant, but he's not stupid. He's not stupid. He knows that fight is damn dangerous. Right? There is a difference from light heavyweight guys like Dominic Reyes, and there's a lot of guys who can punch hard that he's versed, but there is nobody he Nganu punches heavy for heavyweights. Yeah. Right. Like, there's heavyweights who don't want to step in there with him because he punches so goddamn hard, and and so John, I think John realizes that is that there's a there's a danger in that. And listen, the truth of the matter is, if you care for John Jones, you want him to make as much money in an Ngannou fight because Ngannou hits you with one of those punches. Uh, listen, three in punches from Ngannou can change the direction of your career. It, it, you know, listen, John gets hit three times by Ngannou and he goes out cold. He might only fight once or twice more, right? Yeah. Like th- this whole thing about him going on against the next generation and wiping out the next generation, that's done. That's over with. His, his run at heavyweight is probably over with. So there's an inherent risk that he has to cover for as far as, as, far as financially. Yeah, and, and with the whole thing that got me about the Jones thing is like now he's beefing with Dana White. Is he he just he I, he can't stick to his guns, and that was my problem. He wanted the Ngannou fight, then all of a sudden he he he, and then he didn't want it. He said he oh oh he wanted to catch weight before that. Then he said he he didn't want to fight Reyes because he beat him, which is truthfully you can agree with the judges or not, but he did fight him, and they those three people said he was the winner. Then he said he wanted the Jan Blakovich fight. And then all of a sudden, then he went back to like, oh, I want the Francis fight. He can't make up his mind of what his next move is. He cannot make it up. And the thing that irks me about this is then you get mad at Dana White for uh, these apparent text messages, which I I don't know, but if I sent you a text message right now, you could probably read what you sent and what you received. But what, what just irks me about that is just he doesn't, he doesn't know what he wants. Do you want to catch weight? Because that's what you said on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, it was in Ghana fight. Then on Thursday, you said, sorry, heavyweights, I'm going back down. Then all of a sudden, you won the Jan Blakovich fight on Saturday. Then all of a sudden, Monday turns around, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you call Dana White a liar, and you're relinquishing the belt. So I understand John Jones wants to get paid more. Like, I, I get it. But the thing is, he has to know where he wants to go next. 
Because how can you negotiate and all this stuff when you don't even know what you want? Monday, you want a catchweight fight between light heavy and heavyweight. Tuesday, you want Nganu. Wednesday, you really want Nganu. You, you're pretty much already signed the contract. Thursday, you said, nope, I'm done with heavyweight. I'm going back down. Whoever's next, I'll, I'll fight Reyes. Then Friday, you don't want Reyes. You want Blanc, uh, Jan Blachowicz. And then on Saturday, you're pissed off at Dana White and relinquishing the title. Like, what is your next move? How can you negotiate more money when you don't even know if you're a heavyweight, a cashweight fighter, or the champion of the world? Like, where, where, where can yeah. you start? And, and there's rumor is he asked for Devontae Wilder money, is what I'm trying to say. I'm going on a rant here. Well, nobody's getting that. No one's getting that. But here's nobody's the thing. John Jones complaining about money, but he's done everything outside the octagon, outside the U, what the UC has done to him, to make sure he doesn't make money. Because this man yeah. was sponsored by Nike. And what, what, what mm-hmm. happened to that? You messed up. And I understand people make mistakes. You're a public figure in the public eye. But, you, you know, the stuff you did is something that a lot of people don't do. And I, I understand, you know, it, it, he came in the game young and had a lot of eyes on him. W- whatever it is, right? People do stuff for stupid reasons. you got to grow and learn, learn from it. Yeah. But the thing is, he lost his Nike sponsorship. So don't be mad at the UFC that you're not making enough money. You you could be doing movies. You could be doing this. You could be doing that. But, you you know, it's hard to do that when every six months you're on Team Z because you're in handcuffs. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to go political here, but don't be moaning, complaining that oh, this and that when you could be doing other things on the side because you're because of your product in the octagon. So, I mean – like he's got to stick to his guns when it comes to like, don't do stuff to mess up your image. Don't do stuff to, you know, like have direction when it comes to where you want to go next in your career. And then you can start to negotiate because what you need to do is get in that octagon, prove your worth and outside the octagon, prove your worth with other side, side, whatever that is, movies, shows, because don't forget, the UFC fighters are, are they're contractors pretty much. The UFC says, he goes show up this fight, this date. If, if he doesn't want to, he doesn't have to. Like in the NFL, if you don't show up to training camp, they fine you $10,000. But the UFC, they don't do that. You don't want to fight. You don't want to get paid. That's fine. And, and I, I love John Jones. And I, I understand all this. I understand all this. Oh, I'm going to pack up my bags and leave. But where are you going to go, John? Bellator, Okay. One FC, okay, like he, yeah. he's kind of, he's kind of bluffing, but he, he like he's like, well, I'm gonna walk away. Okay, so what are you gonna do next? Like uh, going to boxing? Uh, sorry, but you're 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 ten times a better MMA fighter than you ever be as a boxer. That's not your style because like <laughs> you know you like he, the he kicks. doesn't even box in it. Yeah, he, yeah. I mean, he so, doesn't even box in MMA. So like it, it's like a bluff. Like I'm leaving. And the UC probably sitting back and go, where are you going to go? You know, like, like well, it's like the kid that's like, I'm running away from home tonight. And it's like, where are you going to go? You got to sleep I at some point. You, gotta, you want dinner. Come back in. Yeah. His, his biggest threat would be retirement, not going somewhere else. Because uh, going somewhere else, I mean, if you're complaining about UFC money, I mean, you know, let, let's be realistic. Bellator could open their checkbook and they probably couldn't match a UFC offer. Um not at this moment. The, the closest thing with the threading to the UFC would be to retire. But, but okay, so, right? so like, he retires. He retires. Is the UFC batting eye? Is the UFC batting an eye that Anderson Silva's not the main plug anymore? Is the UFC batting eye that Ronda left? Is he, does the UFC still not go on when, right. when Conor McGregor's off? The UFC, the UFC is the machine. And you're either they, on they, the train for the ride or it's going to bypass you and you got to wait for the next best thing. And that could be a broken down wagon. Right. I mean, the UFC does have more leverage, um, but they do understand at the same time that, you know, John Jones is a big draw. And listen, there's, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of active big draws anymore. Right. Like you really think about it. You go in every division. Who Who's a super, super big draw? Okay. Let's go to the women's division. Um, you know, really, you're kind of looking at, you know, uh, Amanda Nunes. 
Yeah. I mean, we're, we're talking about the big, big stars, Amanda Nunes, but she's in a situation because, okay, yes, she's a big draw herself. Um, she's, well, she's entering that prime, but competition. Yeah, she's, she's wiped everybody out. Right? Like, it's a, bit, a little bit hard to sell that. Okay, you know, you go up to Henry Cejudo just retired. Uh, if you thought he was going to be a big draw. Uh, okay, you look at featherweight. Uh, yeah, okay, you, you know, like, Volkanovski, Max, to Okay, you know, like, but again, they're not hitting that. They're not hitting that that big mark. The only really, even, now, Usman... Uh, could be there. Like, if he beats a Jorge or somebody like that, he can get there. But really, it's John, it's Connor, uh, it's Khabib. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Ga- about Gaethje's it. moving up there. Gaethje's moving up there. Gaethje is say. moving up there, but he's not there yet. No, he's I, I, not there yet. But, but hey, hey, if, if, he, if he somehow beats Khabib, he might be, like, oh, okay. the next, oh, well, like, like the next needle mover in, in the UFC. Right. Because then he has the track well, record. Then all of a sudden, you know they're going to push a Conor McGregor fight if he beats Habib. And if he beats Conor McGregor, he's king of the world. But that's a long way off. I'm just saying, Justin Gaethje is probably the person that you look at most without a title right now. And, well, I guess he has the interim title. No, I have the interim title. Ngannou. Him and Ngannou. Him and Ngannou. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah. For a second, I, I forgot UFC 249 was the interim. I was like, oh, is it? But it's it. Him and Ngannou have the best chance because. They're right there. They've done everything right. If you look at any other stars, those are the two guys. I might put Justin Gaethje up a little bit, only because he's an interim champ, and I like, and he's getting the next fight. It's heavyweight. I feel bad for Francis Ngannou. The man's done nothing but put people to sleep, more, more than a sleep number bed, and he doesn't have anything to show for it. And he has no direction. That's the opposite. He knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. But yeah. the UC's not giving what he deserves. The thing, the, the thing, the thing with John Jones is the UC says, mm-hmm. hey, the door's open. Who do you want to fight? Reyes, Jan, yada, yada, yada. And he's going, well, I, I, I don't know what I want to do. He thinks he does, but he doesn't. I, well, he, he sort of knows what he wants to do because what, what he's looking for is he's looking for, I want the fight that's not only going to make me the most money, but make the most money for the value, right? If he fights Reyes to... Uh, if he does the Reyes 2 fight, yes, he makes a decent amount of money, but that's a dangerous fight for probably the money he thinks he's going to make in that fight, right? Like, that wasn't an easy fight. The Yan, he thinks, okay, I can probably beat Yan, mm-hmm. right? I, I'm probably a heavy favorite in that. But again, will I be making that type of money I want to be making at my stage? No. Okay, the UFC has already said, okay, you will be making more if you go to heavyweight, so he'd be making the most money he could make versus Ngannou, right? That's factual. The problem is to him, he looks at it and goes, even if you give me a bump in money, it's still not worth that risk. Yeah, and, that's I, the, and I agree and that's with that. The, and I agree with him I, on that. Yeah, and that, that's the problem. He's, that's the box he's in right now. The box he's in is that, yes, he'll give me a bump, right? Like, if they gave him a bump to fight Yan, like, if, if they gave him the same contract he, the UC has offered right now for him to fight in Ganu, and that same, uh, that same type of money was on the table to fight Reyes or Yan, he would probably have taken that fight already. Yeah. Right? I, I think for John, I think if he, if he wants to find that, like, maybe that medium of, okay, Yan maybe isn't, like, oh, respect to Jan, but maybe that's not the same as, obviously, the Nganu, and he's asking too much for Nganu. Maybe he should settle and just go, look, I'll, I'll do the rematch with Reyes. I don't, I, I don't want that Wilder money, but, hey, definitely give me a raise because this is going to be a big fight that draws a lot of eyes. Yeah, so maybe yeah. the Reyes thing is a happy medium, but, but you know, he's got to negotiate, and he, he has to set the UC that this is what I want next if this is what you're going to give me. Until he decides that. I, I don't no, know. I- like right now, if I'm his agent or if I'm his manager, I'm saying stick it like heavy. I would stick agree. it like heavy because the the Ngannou, the way Ngannou's tracking right now, heavyweight is. Listen, I I, I think he's going to be a world champion. I think he already is the world champion, <laughs> in my opinion. But he's tracking to be a big heavyweight superstar, and heavyweight will always be there. Um, 
and for the money, it's not worth the risk right now. I, I would say do not do it. I think you're better to go Jan or Reyes right now if I'm his manager, right? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, as a selfish fan, yeah, of course I want to see you versus Ngannou. The fight would be sick. Uh, but also, I also think Reyes would be a great fight. I think Jan, obviously the hype won't be as big. But listen, he's worthy, right? Like he's he, he, you, you can't say he's not worthy right now because he's he's won all the fights he's supposed to win. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what happened with John Jones, man. It's it's interesting scenario, and uh, it wouldn't be the first time that Dana White has had his run in with fighters and uh, uh, oh, it, with him. So I think this is just second nature to him now. So he doesn't seem too faced by it. Like he's not out there like trashing John Jones. I I think Dana is just like uh, well, I'll, I'll give I'll yeah. give him a month. I'll give him a month. And then we'll talk. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, he's—I mean—he's sort of slight, slighted John Jones a bit, but uh, I mean, he didn't really th- say anything that wasn't factual. I mean, John Jones really hasn't done, uh, you know, best for his rep in the past. But uh, we'll see, man. We'll see. Okay, Cole, let's talk about 250. It went down last weekend. The main event, Amanda Nunes, Felicia Spencer. Obviously, all the bantamweights were on display here. Uh, but let's start with the main event. Amanda Nunes defending her 145 featherweight title of the world. And, man, uh, what can you say about Amanda Nunes except pure domination? I mean, you look at someone like Felice Spencer, an all-around good fighter, beat the likes of uh, Megan Anderson. You know, she lost to Cyborg, but really sh- showed her toughness and that she can uh, fight at a high level because that was really the stepping stone before this fight was the Cyborg fight. And a lot of people said, hey, she... She, she can fight against the best in the world. And that's why she got this 145-pound title shot. And Felice Spencer is amazing. She's a great ground artist. She, we, we, everybody thought, okay, she might not be able to hang with her in the stand-up, but when it comes down to the wrestling, where is that going to take this fight? And what's going to happen there? And to be honest, Amanda Nunes dominated the ground game. I mean, when you look at Amanda Nunes, stuff shots, stuck in the middle, landed shots, big heavy shots, all five rounds, and just proved how dominant she was, man. It's like every time you look at Amanda Nunes, you you just sit there and you go, this is how great she is. It's hard to kind of, after every fight, not be repetitive because she does everything really good. And you can't even come out of a fight. Like we see after like, you know, a Khabib match. Okay, maybe he did this wrong. You know, we see after... A John Jones fight, he did this wrong. Israel Adesanya fight, okay, he needs to change up this, or this wasn't flawless. With Amanda Nunes, you can't do that. She was so good in this fight. She's been so good in the Cyborg fight. So, 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 so good in the Holly Holm fight. So good in every other fight she's put on. It's hard to look at Amanda Nunes right now and say, who's going to dethrone her? And it's even harder right now to go, well, who's she going to face that's going to give her a good challenge? Because she ran through everybody. Especially at 145, there's not that much depth as 135. And then 135, she has pretty much beat everybody that has stepped up since she won the title at UC 200. So my question is, who's next for Amanda Nunes? And obviously, I think it would be at 135 because, like I said, there is more depth. But what do you think is next for Amanda Nunes? Who do you think is next for Amanda Nunes? And... Where does the UFC go marketing her here? Because pretty much she's coming up on clearing out pretty much two divisions here. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you look at featherweight uh, for her, I mean, there's there's nothing really left. I mean, um, you know, there's there's make Megan Anderson, but you know. With Megan's record in the UFC, it would be sort of a tough sell. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could do it, right? I mean, you could hype that list and it would say standing and, uh, you know, me and Anderson in, in just pure stand-up fights, her record in the UFC is very good. When she gets taken to the ground, though, uh, that, that's the equalizer. And the, the, the point in that fight would be, well, if it stays standing up, but Amanda Nunes at any point could take that to the ground and it would be a big uh, disadvantage, right? You would see it instantly. Now, if you go to Bantam, um, you know, I think, to me, Aspen Ladd, uh, she fights this weekend, I believe. 
Yeah, she fights coming up. She is coming off the loss to Jermaine Duranamy, but she, that yeah. was her first loss. So I, I, Aspen Ladd is someone, if she does pick up a victory, where you can, I agree with you, honestly say, yes, she's a legit contender for a manager. Yeah, I, I mean, because then, she, you know, she'd be something like 10-1. and one. She'd be, I think, the, the you know, she'd be ranked uh, number two and number two contender uh, right under uh, Jermaine. So I mean, she would probably be my 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 next my next man up or next woman up, I should say, uh, unless you're going to do the Shavinko three fight. But you know, the problem with that one is Shavinko is giving up a lot of size. Now, if they do meet up at one thirty five, it's a little more equal. It's a little more competitive. Shavinko will still be the smaller fighter. But that's a you know that's a weight they could you know meet up at, uh, but I, I think right now that's not in the UFC's plans. That's something I think maybe a year or two down the road they could uh, entertain again. But right now I, I think what what the thing for her to do is if Aspen Lad wins, then what you would have is you would have her fight uh, Amanda Nunes. Now the problem is if she loses, uh, where do you go from there? Right, uh, I think that's that's the big thing, and like, and she, I mean, she's looked so dominant, and you know, what would be the next thing if Aspen loses? I mean, you know, you look at Caitlin Vieira; she's ten and one. Um, you know, maybe if she wins one more fight, um, you know. And, and then after that, I mean, she's really kind of wiped out that division. I mean, there's Julia Pena, uh, but she's coming back with a layoff, nine and three. She's beat Holly. She's beat Pennington. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, and then at basically at Featherweight, she's basically beating everyone, not named Megan Anderson at Featherweight. So she, she's, she's the GOAT. She's the best of all time. She had a complete shutout in her last fight. But the, the, the big question is who is next? And if Aspen Lad wins, okay, I think it's pretty easy, right? That's the fight to make. Uh, but if she loses, then it's kind of like uh, it, it almost might be a popularity contest <laughs> as far as, you know, maybe that person that fights her will not be as deserving uh, as in other divisions in the UFC. But that, that's, she, she's so dominant in both divisions. That's where we stand right now. Yeah, it's man, it's, it's getting to the point where you go, What's next? I mean, if, if they want to do 145, okay, Megan Anderson does make sense. If they want to do one, 135, I agree with you, Cole. It's kind of who has well, – who wins the next fight and, and yeah. has the best performance, right? Well, I think Aspen Ladd would be – she would be coming off a win. Mm -hmm. She'd be the highest-ranked opponent. I mean, she's, she's almost ranked as – if she wins, she'd almost be ranked as the number one contender. I don't think she'd – unless she looks – spectacular but she lost to Jermaine but uh, she would be the number two coming off a win and she'd be the only one in the top five I believe other than Irene Aldana and, and I believe she just got booked against Holly Holm so you know maybe she looks absolutely um, you know spectacular you know let's say she KOs Holly Holm or stops Holly Holm then yeah maybe her you know maybe they both win right maybe they both win and, and now you got you know they both went in spectacular fashion. Now you got two contenders that you can, you can use instantly. The worst case scenario is they both lose. Then it's kind of going to be looking around the room. Then all of a sudden, I think she might fight me get on and sit at 145. Uh, whether she likes that or not, the UFC might just push that. Um, but hopefully uh, one of those fighters gets a win and looks spectacular to bump up some interest for her next fight at 135. So I think that's what the UFC is kind of planning on. And uh, that's what I think is going to kind of be next for Amanda Nunes. Yeah, I mean, only time will tell with Amanda Nunes. And we got a couple f major fights and a lot of contenders that, if they do win their next fights, like you said, might be that next woman up to face Amanda Nunes at 145, 135. Time will tell, especially when she holds two belts. Let's talk, let's talk about the co-main event. And it saw Cody Garbrandt, the former bantamweight champion, of the world coming back after losing to TJ Dillashaw twice in title shots and then losing to Pedro Munoz in that slugfest. And Cody Garbrandt, it was really, this was kind of a fight where he needed to win. It was kind of a must win if you want to stay on the upper echelon of 135. 
and he was versing Rafael Sunsau. Now, Sunsau, man, he always comes with a great game plan. Well, all around good, you know, very well-rounded. And I thought this was going to be a very hard fight for Cody. I, I really thought, okay, this is really going to push his limits of an all-around fighter, and let's see how he does. And for, for the you – know, well, <laughs> I should say for the first two rounds, he, it was a competitive fight. Cody was sticking on the outside looking for his openings. Uh, Asansa was doing the same. wasn't the most flashy fight, but the way it ended, holy moly, Cody just against the cage. He ducked down once before, and then he ducked down a second time. Asansal threw a hook, and Cody just came with an overhand right from hell and just knocked him out. Buzzer beater. You, 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 you can't get any more of a buzzer beater KO than that. I mean, the, the, just the force Cody generated that hook into it, put his hips into it, his whole body, shoulders, and just knocked out Asansal cold. And not a lot of people do that in He's His fighting IQ is very high up there. So for Cody to do that and land a big shot like that and really show – you know, the whole fight, he showed patience, 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 and then found the opening, baited really a sunset into that hook, and then came over with a counter. That was very, very well done by Cody. And you look at Cody's last fights. Whenever he hurts someone, he goes in there like a bat out of hell. And that's why he has three losses is because he would run when he, – he'd be a shark, you know, when he smells blood and water and run in there. But this time he was very calculated. He was very po uh, poised. He was very smart with picking his shots. And the final one was just, you know, the nail in the coffin and the cherry on top because it was so well done. And the way he baited him in, like I was saying, Cody Garbrandt, man, this was a big fight for him. The way he knocked out. Asansau. Now he's back in that conversation. Now he's back into the top contender conversation. And that's hard to do when you're one and three in your last four. But the way he did it and how good he looked really puts him back in that conversation. What do you think about the win for Cody? And what's next for him? I know Bantamweight was on display at 250, but he was kind of the guy out of all the fights that you walked away and maybe thought he looked the most impressive of the night. Yeah, listen, you, you know, I, I kind of predicted this out of Cody, right? He was, a, you, you saw a little bit more of a technical Cody Garbrandt. You saw a little more patient Cody Garbrandt. And I think that's all Mark Henry. I think that's his, because that's kind of Frankie's style. The, the, you know, I, I think what you saw is you saw a little bit of that new style and, and what he's learned. And then you saw the, the, the X factor that he has, which is the speed and the one-shot knockout power at that weight. And, and really, that, that's what, you know, makes him different, right, it is, it is his speed and his power. So he mixed that with the technical ability. And, you know, that, that's his game. That's Cody's game. Cody's game is, is going to be now moving forward, stay technical. And when that one shot, that opening presents itself, he has the speed and the power to capitalize. And... That that's who he is. That's who he was in the past. He just did it in a more reckless fashion. Yeah. And and what you saw was was a, a calmer, more technical because you know he knocked about one you know right hook. But but if you really watch that sequence, he saw it coming all the way. Mm -hmm. He knew, hey, he's if I duck, he's gonna throw that that right at me, that short the right hook. I'm gonna sort of slip out of the way, and then I'm gonna hit him. So in a way, everyone looks at the well, the right hand, you know, the speed, the power. He's all had that before. What impressed me was that he saw it coming. He was calculated. And when he saw the opening, he took it. And if he can, because he'll always have the speed and the power, if he can take the technical side of what's being presented to him with the right mindset, uh, I mean, you know, there's no limit really, right? Mm -hmm. um, and being a guy like, uh, you know, Sun Sour, I mean, put some, I mean, not, not just beating him, but knocking them out cold. Like, he did not have to follow up with any shots. I mean, doing that is, is just, um, it's impressive as hell, right? Like, there's, there's, there's no other way to say it. You know, what's next for Cody? Listen, I, I think in a, a performance like that, um, even coming off three losses of a performance like that against a ranked opponent like that, you're, you're, your expectations now is him is he he's kind of one shot you know what the, the problem with his division it, it, it's a bit um 
it's a bit large end, a tiny bit. Because there's so uh, many damn contenders. Right, there's so <laughs> many damn contenders, right, at, at Bantam. So, but think, but you know, things are going to get worked out with Peter Yan and Aldo. You know, you know, uh, I'm kind of thinking Cody and um, Marlon Marais. Mar- yes, yes, mm-hmm. because I was you know, thinking Stur- that. Sterling is going to get. He's kind of the next one for Aldo Peter Yan, and then you got. Um, you know, San Hagen, but he just lost. So, you know, would it make sense for Cody? You could do Cody uh, and Nunez again, right? You could do that if you want him. But I mean, Cody won in such impressive fashion. Uh, the Malam Rice might be a little more juicy. And, you know, it, it, that might be the one to make, right? Because I, I think what you're going to have is you're going to have Peter and y- Aldo. I mean that one's coming up pretty quick, really. It's I mean it's in a month. Yep. And then Sterling will be the shot after that. That will probably happen in September. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna guess early September. And then I think around that time you have the Cody Mom Rice. Uh, because don't forget Mom Rice only got beat by Henry. Henry mm-hmm. obviously vacated no longer there. So he's kind of got new life in him a bit too. Um, so you do that one around the same time. And then Cody and the winner of Mal Rice can verse the winner of Sterling versus whoever, <laughs> whoever might be the yeah. champion at that, at that point, you know, at, at the end of uh, 2020 here. So that's kind of what I see for the future of the Bantamway right now and, and where Cody kind of lines up. I mean, he could do the Munoz one again. But um, I, 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 I think the UC will offer him – I just think it was, it was so impressive. He's almost kind of leapfrogged that fight, right? Like if he beat Asensio, but it was a very close decision, I think they might go, hey, Asensio's one below Munoz right now. Let's do the rematch. I think he looked so good, and he's such a name still. There's a cachet to his name still that they can sell the fight with uh, Mom Rice. And I mean, I mean, Mom Rice and Cody Garbrandt would be fire. I mean, it'd be straight fire, right? Like, so, like, they both, as far as bantamweights go, they both, they both carry probably the biggest two power punchers, Mom Rice kicker, maybe as well, in, in bantamweight, right? So, I mean, that's the fight to make to me, 100%. Yeah. I would agree with that, but yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Cody is one fight away, and let's see who that dance partner is. I mean, you look at everybody up there. You got Marlon Marais, you know, Arjun Sterling, who had a, an impressive performance over over Cody Sanhagen there that really launched him as okay, he is the number one contender in this division. Uh, you even got Cody Sanhagen, one loss, you know, and like you know we. A loss to Arjun Sterling doesn't knock him down the totem pole too far. And, of course, you, you, um, you mentioned um, Pedro Munoz, but uh, if he can get past Frankie Edgar, and that fight's happening at UFC 251-2 on the main event of the prelims, right? So even if Frankie Edgar gets a win, what does that mean for him, right? So 135 is just like, it's a logjam, yes, because there's so many good people in there, and there's so many good fights to make. And the one thing I like about 135 is, all those guys want to eat. They're very hungry, and they like to stay active. So we'll see what happens there. I think Sterling's next in line, but there's a lot of contenders coming up here. Let's talk about maybe one that <laughs> – I mean, I saw this, and if it wasn't for Cody, he's definitely getting knocked out of the night. Um, but damn, Sean O'Malley, man, opens up UFC 250, goes against a guy like Eddie Wineland. Eddie Wineland, tough veteran, former WEC champ, has seen the likes of, you know, he had the title shot against Henry Barrow when Barrow was up there and just, you know, mauling through everybody. You know, he's seen all the upper, upper echelon of 135ers in the world, and he's fought the who's who's list of, you know, anybody who's competed at bantamweight. So to me, this was a big test for Sean O'Malley, and I thought he did a really good job. He was landing some shots on Eddie Wineland quick, Often, nothing that was really too hard, but he was touching them up, you know. And then right before he landed that wheel kick, that really – that was a couple seconds before he knocked out Eddie Wineland. He, he tagged Eddie Wineland with a quick, short left hook. I thought that was a really good shot. That, was, that, that impressed me a lot because I saw the speed of Sean O'Malley. And then he does the hook kick. And then seconds after that, you just see him. He slips on, on, the, on the wheel kick, I should say. Slips on the wheel kick. And then all of a sudden gets right back up and he goes, okay, what's my next move? 
faints with the uppercut. Eddie Wineland's hands drop right there and just tags him, tags him with the right hand and puts Eddie Wineland to sleep, which is a hard task to do. Man, Sean O'Malley, and he said in the post-fight interview, I might have the best striking in MMA, and man, who am I to contest with him? Who am I to contest with him? With, with that shot that he set up, man, that's good. To think about this kid's only couple fights deep in the UFC is impressive. And every time you see him, he gets better. He gets better. He, his, his IQ is so high up there. And the way he sets up shots is just so phenomenal. You can tell just like, it, it's so weird. You see fighters sometimes that come in and they have to take five fights and then maybe go to a, to a different camp to understand the striking. And maybe not even then, maybe not even then they understand the high level of striking. But Sean O'Malley has it right off the bat, a couple UFC fights in. Very impressive performance by him. I think when you talk about Sean O'Malley, the UFC is going to want to get behind him. He's flashy. He's out there. He's good on the mic. He's got the rainbow hair, and he does all this jazz and stuff. And you know what? He backs it up. He does more than back it up in the octagon. And he looks incredible. Knocks out Eddie Wineland to open up the card. All eyes are on him now. I actually like a fight between him and Cody Garbrandt. They're going back a little bit. You know, he, he was doing interviews saying Cody shouldn't want this fight. I would knock him out. I think that's a hell of a good test for Sean O'Malley. And if Sean O'Malley is serious about getting a title shot soon here by the end of 2021, Cody's got to be on his hit list. Because that's a former champion, a guy who just won as well. And if you beat him, you're up there. I don't know what the future holds for Sean O'Malley. I don't know if maybe UC has another projection for him or what. But I think Sean O'Malley is, you know what, like, <laughs> I mean, it's so hard because you look at Sean O'Malley and Matt Nunes, Arjuin Sterling, and then Cody Garbrandt, all of them looked impressive in all their fights. So it's hard to debate who looked the best. But I think the biggest statement made was by Sean O'Malley. Maybe not the best performance because that might be up to debate. But the, the biggest statement made was Sean O'Malley saying, I'm here. I can get through a task in the first round KO like Eddie Wineland. Who is next? Because I'm coming for them. I'm fresh. Let's do it. I think Sean O'Malley did a fantastic job. And it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up in 2020 because he could fight one or two more times. Yeah, listen, I, I think the fight kind of, I mean, basically uh, kind of went the way I, I, I basically previewed it. I didn't give Eddie Wyland a chance. I, I called it the kind of the old school versus the new school breed. Uh you know, Sean O'Malley, does he have the best striking in, you know, in MMA? I'm not going to go there, there yet. He, he, listen, the way he flows his striking together might be the best. To be the best, you know, you might, you know, I don't know if he's the biggest power puncher even in that division. So, you know, we, we again, I'm, I'm, I'm behind the O'Malley train. I am. Not full, you know, steam to go yet. But like I said, I, I'm behind it. I believe in his skills. Now, what, what, is, what is next for him? I, I think we have to, you, you know, a lot of it is about don't shoot him through the sky and Too don't fast. give him the same type of opponent. Mm-hmm. There has to be the middle ground, right? Because even you look where Connor came up or uh, Israel came up, if you can't just shoot him, like I know that you know, he's talking about Cody Garban, but you know, he really, in my mind, hasn't beat a guy that I, I that I would even consider in the top fifteen, right? So we, we we have to sort of yes, he's looked uber impressive, and if you were going to play kind of fantasy rate rate you know rankings, where would you put him? You can do that, but that's not reality. We have to sort of have a reality mindset of about it. Eddie Wyland is a veteran. Uh, let's be honest, on his way out. Uh, he's on the downside of the hill. Um, yes, he's had a lot of experience. He's seen a lot, but that's all, that only plays into it so much. So I, I think where Sean O'Malley is, in my opinion, I think he's he should definitely have an upgraded opponent. He should not be versing Cody Garbrandt. Um, I don't think he's ready for that. Now, it's not to say that he'll never beat Cody Garbrandt. Uh, I, I believe he's got the skills to give him a very tough fight. But somebody like Cody, I think, is maybe the ne- not the next fight, but maybe the fight after that. Mm. Right? Like, to me, Eddie Wyland and Cody Garbrandt are a far distance from each other. Right? 
unless 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 you can convince the UFC that he's completely ready, which I don't think he is. I mean, we have we yes, he's been impressive, but we have to also look at the guys he's beat. Right? The guys he's beat are not top fifteen, not top ten worthy guys. So we have to temper our expectations about who he is just yet. Even though I am behind him, I do think his skill set is absolutely incredible. But he, he's not quite there yet. He is not quite there yet. And and is he close to a top 10 opponent? Yeah, I, I think he is. But he's not there yet. I, I, I would personally like to see him go against someone in the 15 to 10 range. I think he is ready for that. I would, and I, would, I would like it to be someone who could wrestle him. Mm. Right, because that's I mean, we have this talk about with the you know McGregor early on, right? Uh, a lot of hype, a lot of things, but the wrestling aspect of it. One thing that kind of pops into my mind was uh, people were very hyped on your year, even I was pretty hyped on your year. And what we saw was when a good wrestler gets in there with them against a flashy striker, sometimes it doesn't go well, right? I mean, Fra- Frankie basically said. Yes, you're great in one in one aspect. Hold my beer. I'm going to show you this thing called wrestling, and it, it it went very horrible for him. So he needs, you know, the UC even did it with you know Israel a bit, right? They gave him they gave him Badavarez. They gave him uh, Marlon, uh, who's fighting this weekend. They gave him guys who could kind of really clinch with them, wrestle him a bit, all around good guys. Right now, I mean Eddie Wineland. You know, he, he's good all around, but if they can give him a peer wrestler, a guy in the top 10 to 15, I, I don't have the rankings from that with me right now, but if they can find a guy like that, and if he can starch him the way he's been starching and put on the sugar show, then we're talking top 10. Then I'm, I'm, I'm fully behind him uh, versus a top 10 opponent. Yeah, that, that that's a good point, too. Maybe in but due like, time. Like, I, 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 I'm buying into the hype of Sean O'Malley. I, I think, like, maybe he's ready for and, Cody, and, but that is a strong right. point you're making. And listen, the the, the, the vision he's in, what the, there's, it's not like there's a champion and there's, like, one or zero contenders. That The, the top five is so stacked and, and, and log-jammed right now. You don't really need Sean O'Malley to be your – head of your throne at that division or one of the great stars in that division just yet, you can sort of, you don't need the fast come up, right? Like when Connor versus Aldo, it was like Aldo had beaten everybody. Right? And Connor was this brash, flashy guy. And yes, he took the belt from Aldo, but those, those guys like Connor, um, they don't come around every day. You don't have a guy come in and three three fights in a division, basically, you know, fighting for the title and knock the guy out in 16 seconds. Those guys don't appear, right? Like, it's like any sport. Uh, the, the Michael Jordans, the LeBrons, they come around once every 25 years, 20 years. And so our expectation is after we see a guy like Connor or whatever, we go, oh, that's, that's the next guy, that's the next guy, that's the next guy. And in reality you say that about 10 dudes and really only one guy is, right? Mm. So, you know, in, in any sport, you could do it in any sport, right? So the division, the way it's set up is you don't really need Sean O'Malley to be a contender, a true contender, a true a guy who's like in the top three for another probably year and a half. Let's be honest. You, you don't need it. The, and, and that's without Henry Cejudo coming back, if he comes back, right? Like, so, so you know... I think the, the 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 division doesn't need him to be there yet, and he can sort of, you know, he can sort of be a star for the UFC, not fighting in the top five, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, hell, some people already say he was the the star of that card. Now, I'm I'm not going to go there, but you know, could could he fight, you know, uh, the the twelfth ranked guy, whoever that you know, the the twelfth the, 12th, the eighth ranked guy on a UFC fight night and do big numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Yeah. He could. 
right? Like, so that's what I'm saying. The UFC doesn't need him to be this big star just as of yet, as far as actually contending for the belt because of the division and because he he's already popular, right? He already has a a following that, you know, you don't need to send him the stardom yet. And he's so young. Why would you do it? Give him more experience, right? This isn't a guy that's, you know, freaking 32 and he's got, you know, full prime years. This guy has a whole career ahead of him. Why push him, right? That, that That's my take on, on them. Why don't take it slow because giving him guys around Eddie Wineland level or the guys he's fought just prior, is, it, to me, is kind of like pointless, <laughs> right? So give him, move him up, but not, not crazy. You don't need to go, you don't need to go Cody Garbrandt, Malamarais, uh, Munoz. You don't need to do that yet. So why do it? Fair enough. I understand. Those are all really good points. Yeah, he can kind of be, and like like you said, the division is so logjam. He he can be let him let him build his resume a little bit. Let him get you know a couple fights underneath, and then maybe he moves up into the top ten and yeah. takes two fights, and he moves into the top five and takes a number one contender fight. But that can be in a year and a half from now, or or. or that could Hell, be two even, years. That even two, two years, years. Yeah. yeah. Because let I mean, him build his resume up. Because let, let's get, you know, you got the vacant title now. Sterling's next in line. And then you probably got someone like maybe Cody, Cody might get a rematch. Or, and then who knows? You got, you know, you got Edgar in there. What if Sahudu comes back? You got TJ Dillashaw coming back in January. So there's it, it might get a little more the traffic might get a little more heavier at the top. So let him build his resume. Let him kind of come through take those fights and then make sure, sure that people maybe in a year and a half go, okay, I really want Sean O'Malley to do this because he's on a nine fight win streak or whatever it is. Listen, I think, you know, I think that's the right way to do it. Cause even within Ghana, like he was pushed, he was so damn good. He was pushed so damn high. But the problem is, is in every division, usually the top three guys are, are, are different athletes. They're different fighters. They, they have experience. They have well-rounded games. And that's something O'Malley, yes, he's versus experience, but those guys up there are in their prime experience fighters. And that's something he hasn't been in there with yet. And if they were to push him up automatically, it just wouldn't happen, right? Like, you couldn't take, you know, even if you consider LeBron James the best NBA player that's ever lived. In, in year two with the Cavs, he couldn't have went and versed, you know, Kobe Bryant and beat him, right? Like, yes, he would get there eventually, but there's, there's, there's a growth process that has to happen. There's an experience process. There, there is something for being in there with enough guys, with enough different uh, styles, orthodox, southpaw, big power punchers, Right, like that's one thing I can say for John Jones is like he has been in there with almost damn near every style, every size, every um, you know, mental state of guy, aggressive, super laid back, and and that is something that you know when he goes in the fights, he knows. Listen, I've dealt with every freaking style possible, and Sean O'Malley has to be comfortable with that because when he does versus that guy that takes him down at will. He has to feel comfortable, right? He needs a guy where the guy will take him down. He can get back up to his feet. The guy might take him down again. He can get back up to his feet. He can feel comfortable in the guard. And then he can go up on the feet and light the guy up, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's a confident building win, right? But if he goes in there right away and goes against a guy like, you know, Aljamain Sterling, let's say he's the champ by the time O'Malley gets there. And then all of a sudden, he hasn't versed that wrestler, that well-rounded guy, and they just kind of shot him up through the rankings because of his stardom and Instagram followers or whatever. And all of a sudden, Sterling grabs his back like he did against Cody Sehagen. What then? Right? Like, so, so that, that's, that's my case in point is, yes, he's a star and you want to capitalize on it, but take your time. Take your time. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see the evolution of Sean O'Malley when it comes to skills and uh, when it comes to matchups and uh, and who he gets matched up against in different styles. Does make a good point? There's a lot of people that come up the ranks who they think are the next guys that doesn't 
you know, don't really pan out. I think yeah. Sean O'Malley is one of those guys that probably will because you can kind of see the writing on the wall. But give him time to let him let, let him bloom a little and become that what everybody hopes he will be. Right? You got to give him a little bit of time. You gotta you gotta not rush him. Let him take his time, and then he most likely will become everything that people are hoping of. But that you that's UFC 250 in the bags last weekend. We got a couple fight nights coming up. They introduced Fight Island. They racked off all of those title fights that we head on today and talked about in future episodes, Cole. So we're just waiting, you know, one month away from UFC 251. That's going to be a hell of a banger of a card. So we'll be counting down yeah. the weeks, the podcast, until that one. That has been Overhand Right Radio. We recapped everything that has gone on in the world of MMA this week. We appreciate you guys for listening. Make sure if you want to hit up any future podcasts of ours where we talk all about MMA or any past ones that we may have taken and recorded and put out there in the world of podcasts talking about MMA, then log on. Go to SoundCloud, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, iTunes. I don't care where you go. Wherever you get your podcasts, you're going to find Overhand Right Radio. Just type it in and you will find us. You can also go to our Twitter and hit up our link tree where we actually give you the link to any podcast platform where you can go straight there and listen to our podcast. No clicking, no typing necessary. It's on our Twitter, at Overhand, with a capital R at the end. Overhand, all one word, and then a capital R. On Instagram, Overhand Right Radio. Link tree, hit it up and listen to it there. Simple, simplistic, gets you guys doing less work, less typing, and more listening to us talk about MMA. We thank you very much for listening, and we'll check you out next time.